Hey guys, Mike and Brad here from Office of the CISO, and we've banned gum from Brad, so he won't smack throughout the entire episode. Gum. And we're going to try to keep his tapping at a minimum. But today we're going to talk about, you know, frameworks and, you know, what they are and why they're important. So stay tuned. All right, guys, so this conversation is going to be real organic. I don't have any notes regarding it, and Brad's going to kind of lead it, and I'm just going to interject wherever I can. I'm going to start with a story of a man that I interviewed once. I'm not going to give his name because I'm, I'm kind. But uh, during the interview, I asked him specifically if he could explain what risk management framework was. And his reply was, it's a framework used to manage risk. Now, I don't bring that up to poke fun at that person, but to more so um, outline an overall, I don't want to call it a limitation per se, but maybe there's a gap. There's a giant gap there. Now, that person was being interviewed, so obviously in the heat of the moment, they can wig out. But more times than not, whenever you're talking to cybersecurity or information security professionals, um, they either can't name the various frameworks or the or the foundational documents that are necessary to build a quality program. And if they can, they usually can't list the why. So we're going to jump into the plethora that is. Brad is the head of our GRC department here at Office of the CISO, and there is a very good reason why. (laughs) He can actually explain this stuff in detail (laughs) in a manner that is understandable. So, Brad... 10-4. So the security frameworks typically take a different um, appreciation for security than a lot of the the more technical roles do. A a lot of times you'll see guys in technical roles that have been technical their entire careers. And when they get into things like security documentation, security frameworks, security controls, and things like that, uh, their eyes tend to glaze over because it's pretty awful. It's hard. It's difficult. But also all their experiences, standard operating procedures Mm -hmm. and hard, simple policies like acceptable use policies that don't take grand scheme. Right, right. And most of the time, most tacticians, most of the time, they don't make great strategists. I'm I'm a tactician. I'm not a horrible (laughs) strategist. No, and and a lot of times the tacticians can, can understand the why behind a strategy. Um, but actually creating a strategy, de- deploying a strategy, um, and and turning a strategy into tactics. Yes. Um, that's that. It takes a different mindset. And and honestly, so in in my career, I've been I've been a firewall admin, a network admin, server admin. I've had all the technical background. Um, I'm educated in application development. I couldn't do it for a career. Just enough to know we wouldn't be able to do it. Right. Right. I, w- I kind of wanted to round out where I was headed. I knew I was headed towards networking and firewalls, but I wanted it to include app dev in, in my background so that I could so that I could have a, a good, well-rounded background. Um, so I've, I've got experience in, in a lot of those technical areas, but when it comes to security and policy, procedure, guidelines, and that kind of thing specifically, I can almost feel a physical switch in my brain when I have to move from technical to procedural or uh, policy-based stuff like that. I'm glad you have that switch. Dude. I'd be lost without it. And, and like sometimes I have to 
force the switch. Like I got to snap my brain out of policy to get into the the, te- the technical side, and and you know vi- vice versa. What um, is before we dive into the various uh, pol- not policy sets, frameworks. but the frameworks themselves? Yeah. Why does it tend to be the more difficult side for people to get a hold of? The from my perspective, it's because it's the less cool side. You're not doing <laughs> it's documentation. No, you're it's right. Paperwork. You're right. You're right. It's meetings. It's asking questions to people that should know the answers, but they don't understand the question when you ask it because they don't know the answer because they just do what they need to do and move on. Well, so, so some of the frameworks, and we'll, we'll get into them, but some of, the, some of the frameworks take an organizational perspective. And most IT guys, we're IT guys. Role-based. We're, we're at that level. Like, we're, we're in the weeds. We've got our eyes on the screen with the, the, the digits and the characters and the, the, the activities that the, the technology is going through, th- things like that. We're in the weeds. So we're like, as a firewall engineer, the only thing we care about is – what needs we, to talk to what? What needs to talk to what? Yeah. They've given us a list, and we yeah. we input it. Yeah, yeah. We don't and, think big organizational picture wise from that perspective, right? And and in most larger or in most of the larger organizations, they have processes in place to where somebody else has already made the decision as to whether or not those communications should be allowed. So by the time you get the ticket to create the firewall policy, those decisions have already been made. You just make the decision happen. Hopefully, yeah. And it's not all willy nilly. Well, yeah, yeah. That's 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 what I'm, what I'm kind of what I'm what I'm getting at is a lot of the, the thought processes behind uh, system development or uh, architecture that kind of thing is out of the firewall admin's hands. They don't have to get it into their brains. They don't have to get it out of their brains. <clears throat> they just do the needful and let it ride, man. Yeah, they 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 put the configuration in place to make the firewall to make the technologies do what the business has told them they need the technologies to do. Cool. The the kicker with cybersecurity, and, and I do lump this into the overall umbrella of cybersecurity, is that we've got to relate to the business and be able to let the business do what the business needs to do with the technologies in a secure fashion. Right? So, you know, that, that wonderful answer of no but. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The asterisk beside it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we can do this, however... Or we shouldn't do that, but we could do this and get the same outcome in a secure manner. Yeah, yeah. You're trying yeah. to do this. We don't need to do that. We can let you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish with a more secure mindset. Yeah. Groovy. Yep. So to I guess to go ahead and dive headfirst into yeah, some let's of the frameworks. Let's jump in. The um, first one and where it could be useful, I guess. Yeah. So and th- there's there, there are a bunch of security frameworks. There's some that I have a penchant towards, um, but they they all tend to have a, a useful use, uh, use case or something like that. Uh, the, the first one I'll toss out is a cybersecurity framework. Um, that, now, we've heard a lot about that one because the federal government's come out and kind of pushed it on right. agencies and said, we're going to do this. I think, I know Trump came out and said it. I believe Biden's reinforced it. He in the probably past, has, so. yeah. And, it, and it's an easy one to, to, to push because it's a good framework. It's a good framework. It's a very good framework. Um, I, Why is it a good framework? Well, so the, the first iteration, I think, was written in 2014. I haven't done all my research, but I think Obama's... Um, Obama's White House. It, it was released under Obama's White House. Mm-hmm. Um, it was updated maybe in 19, but I, I don't I don't remember exactly when it was updated. <clears throat> so the, the the cybersecurity framework though is is the, it, its use case is kind of leaning towards incident response 
and the minimization of an incident making an impact on an organization. And we find that important because it doesn't matter how good your program is, how tight and secure your organization yeah. is. It's a matter of when, not if. Right. And it, and it gets your organization prepped and ready to deal with an incident and to recognize what an incident is when one happens. Right. And what it takes to get back. Yeah. What that cost is. So. Yeah. Yeah. And to, keep, to, to minimize the, the, like the dollar cost and the, the, the information loss cost, um, the, uh, what's the word I'm going for? Um, the face of the company, the goodwill of the PR. company. Sure, yeah, the 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 image. Uh, public rela- the image of the, the organization, the I'm loss, the marketer, the he's, loss he's of that the stuff. Yeah, um, so it it helps to to prepare an organization to deal with and minimize it, an incident when it happens. Now that's not all it does, but it's got a heavy, heavy, heavy incident response um, tie-in. I guess one of the things I, I don't like about it is that. It, it is kind of focused in that area. It misses or it lacks a lot of the organizational stuff um, as far as documentation of uh, or, or listing of systems, like the systems themselves. It doesn't require you to boundarize a system and know where the system starts and stops versus right. where the other system starts and stops because it doesn't include things like authorizations, the authorization steps. Systems that have uh, that are that are boundarized, or rather that are that are under authorization processes within an organization, need to have their boundaries clearly defined. This one is this one, and it's not this one. So the the author, authorizing officials, when they are given the thumbs up, and we're getting into RMF and things like that. I'll get to that one in a second. But when they're authorizing the systems to operate. They need to know where the system starts and stops, that this system is not this system, and that this system is not this one, but they may intercommunicate, right? Yeah, and systems could be like applications. They, they could be applications. They could do organization-wide, depending on what it uses from an ERP or whatever. Sure, sure. So, why do you, why would CSF not focus on authorizations? Is it because it comes more so from a federal standpoint where the president or your, your CEO tells you to do and you do? Or it's that it ju- it just lacks that authorization requirement, right? I know all my DOD contracting. We mm-hmm. had a general support system. We called it GSS. Yeah. So they had systems. They just didn't. Well, right, but the CSF is 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 more geared towards the planes in the air. How do you <laughs> fix it while it's flying? Type. Well, thing? it's it's it it intends to be broader, I guess, mm. to to cover all processes and all systems and to kind of cover everything. Um, but in, in the DOD world, like the DOD specifically, their systems are massive, just Huge. massive. Huge. So you can't really lump everything in to one big authorization, one big thumbs up. You can't do that because they're, they're too big. It's unwieldy. Um, and really what, what the DOD would, would tend to do, I would assume is they would, they would take their um, NIST 853 implementations mm-hmm. and map those to the CSF controls, and that's how they're meeting those requirements. Yeah, that's how we did a lot of that. Yeah, that, that's how they're meeting the requirements the, of the the executive orders from like Trump when he came out and, and pushed CSF. Because they've so been hard. running RMF forever. Yeah, it was. Um, I think 53 was first published, or at least. NIST was required to create that type of a granular framework like that back in 02. Hmm. That all started as a result of the September 11 attacks in 
the uh, the legislation that that came up when I think they created DHS, mm-hmm. FISMA came about in that whole activity. Um, so moving on from CFS, CSF though, um, I've got 853 on my list next, but that's overarched kind of by the risk management framework. Yes. So NIST 800-37 and NIST 800-39, those are the documents. I can't remember which is which, but one describes the risk management framework and how it should work. And the other describes how the federal government should implement it. Mm-hmm. Um, so risk management framework works through a uh, six or seven step process of, oh geez, let me pull this out of my brain. Categorizing a system, selecting the system's control baseline as, as a result of that categorization, implementing the, the controls, assessing the controls, authorizing that the implementation of the system, of the, uh, authorizing the system to operate with those implemented and assessed controls and then monitoring the controls through the life of the system. That's the one I know. Yeah, monitoring. That's, that's the one I'm usually, <laughs> that's, that's my world, to monitor and maintain. Yeah, yeah. Well, so the, the controls that we're talking about in the risk management framework, uh, that's the NIST special publication 800-53. Um, so that's now in revision five, and that lays out a super granular set of security controls that can be, that can have different baselines based on the criticality of the system or the type of information that's included in the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, the baselines are low, moderate, and high. Um, of course, you can tailor those to your to your needs and to your organizational requirements. So you could have like a moderate plus some extra stuff. I mean, like what we do for a lot of institutions of higher education is we, at least as of late, we've been categorizing them as overall low, but they have certain systems that have a higher right. rating based on that system use. So. Right, right. And, th- and that's that's a way you could step up the maturity over a, a period of time is mm-hmm. start at a low, require a low right now, and then... Crawl before you walk. Right. We'll, we'll get to the moderate, and if, the, if we need a high, we'll get to a high. And <clears throat> NIST 853 is exceptional because it gives you each individual control, and then it gives you the option for modifiers based on... Enhancements, enhancements, like, and use cases. Right, so. right, right. If you need stricter security controls, you can certainly add them. Um, if you set the the baseline at moderate, you can't go lower. Right. If baseline's moderate, you can't go with just a low because this is your list of controls you have to run with. Right, right. You can always make it more complex, but you can't necessarily go lower. Now, that doesn't mean you you have to have everything implemented day one, uh, depending on the organization's risk tolerance. And I, I really like the term risk tolerance as opposed to risk appetite because we're talking about securing information resources, not I do not like vegetables, but I have a tolerance for them, so I'll <laughs> eat them. It's a risk in vegetables. I like it. Uh, so let's see. You threw me off. I lost where I was. Um, risk appetite. Okay. So, uh, right. Again, not a fan of risk appetite because we're talking about protecting uh, information assets. Um but when an organization doesn't have the resources to implement all of its security controls, that's where a thing called a plan of action and milestones comes in. Our favorite document. It's, it is certainly an, a necessary document, a necessary evil. Um, that it's in, useful, though. I mean, it, it, it is, and in the real world, it never goes away. If it goes away, you did something wrong. Well, you're lying. Yeah. Through your teeth. Yeah. Yeah, mainly because of things like operating system patches and application patches and oh, yeah. things like There's that. There's always vulnerabilities. Vulnerabilities are discovered all day, every day. 
Um, so the, the POAM is something that's going to that's going to live throughout the entirety of the system's life. Mm-hmm. It'll always be there, and that's its that's its <clears> own <throat> document, by the way, where you actually outline known risks or threats mm-hmm. or vulnerabilities that are on your network and your plan or action that you choose to mitigate or defer or accept said well, risk. Whatever your your risk responses are, whatever your allowed risk responses mm-hmm. are for your organization, that's where those are documented. Yeah. Um, so the risk management framework, as part of its authorization process, has a, a package of documents that's presented to an authorizing official the authorizing official is intended to know everything about the system by reading those documents, right? Yes. Generally, they're a lot longer than somebody's going to be able to sit down on a weekend and pour over. But uh, it's so going to the, put them to sleep. It will, and it does. But the point is that, and I think I'm stealing this from Kelly Handerhand from Cyberary. But if it's not documented, it didn't happen. Right. Doesn't exist. Right. Didn't happen. So it's got to live in these documents, all of your security implementations and supporting artifacts proving that you're performing the security things you're saying you're doing. So that this this authorization package is made up of the system security plan, um, the security assessment report. Possibly I've seen some organizations include the risk assessment report. Yeah. Um, I've seen them leave that out as well, though. Um, and then the plan of action and milestones, and then any supporting artifacts that let uh, that let the uh, the assessors or let let the system owners prove to the assessors that the security controls are being performed like they say they are. So the, the authorizing official takes that huge documentation package that's often a thousand pages or more total, and makes his decision based on the the risks that are documented in the plan of action and milestones and the security implementations that are documented in the system security plan and decides whether or not that system should be authorized to operate in their environment. Um, I really like RMF and the NIST 853 uh, security control catalog mainly because it doesn't miss anything. You may find some little minute controls here or there that are worded differently that something like ISO may pick up that that 53 doesn't come out and explicitly say, but I've never been able to find a control that 853 didn't cover. It just may not word it in a way that makes you go, oh, that's what it's talking about. Now, with that being said, if you have, comment below because I'd like to hear about it. <laughs> so. good, good, yeah, good point. I would really like to hear some... Because, uh, again, I've never seen one where I couldn't go, oh, well, this really is made up of these three controls. They just call it something different than, for instance, username and password. Mm-hmm. You're not you, you're not going to see a control named username and password. Authentication or access well, control. It's, right, right, right. So it's it's identification and authentication. That's that's the family yeah. that handles, like, username and password. And I've, I've talked to a, a guy before that was reading through 853, and he came and he sat down with me. Red bird, it no say password, it no say user. <laughs> but that, that's what he was saying. He, he was like, it took me forever reading through this thing for it to click in my mind that it means username and password when it's saying identification and authentication. And I was like, yeah, but it's not really meaning username and password. It's meaning identification and authentication. Which we just normally cover. implement those as usernames and passwords. Especially as we come up with like a bio or face ID and... yeah. Thumbprint stuff. So you're not entering a username and password. You're entering a credential of some sort. Right. But right, right. So if you're if you're going to spend time in RMF and 853, 
wrap your head around that. <laughs> get, get used to the idea of the abstract because that's how they talk. They don't talk in technologies generally. They, they talk in abstract. Because it needs to be able to be applied across multiple things. Right. So you just take that little box where all your thoughts are kept. Uh-huh. And you just throw it out the window because that box don't <laughs> exist anymore. Yeah, so. that, and that, that's the idea. Like they're trying to get security ideas to be implemented. And typically, security ideas are implemented with technologies. Mm-hmm. But they may also be implemented with procedures mm. or configurations or a person or a role or a leader. Th- things like that. I mean, like logging and audit- auditing could be accomplished with a SIM. Mm-hmm. Right. But it could also be accomplished with a room full of analysts reading every log one at a time. I mean, that's a waste of money, in my opinion. But And it's going to increase suicide rates across yeah, IT folks. Yeah, it certainly folks, would. But. certainly would. But you see what I mean? Like the concept, these things could be done. It's just they may happen differently per different organizations. Exactly. Exactly. So that was that was RMF. That was 853. Um, the next in one a very I'm, condensed form. Oh, my gosh, yes. There's... I think that's the high 10,000 foot view. <laughs> I think RMF 800 37 or 39, whichever it is that describes it, is over 100, 150 pages itself. Good toilet material. 853 uh, to read. 853 don't is. <laughs> so paper cuts out. <laughs> Smears the document too. And you don't know what it needs. <laughs> Just leave it in PDF. Don't print it off. Uh, 53 is prob- probably 400 to 500 pages. Both of those I've read almost in their entirety, but 53, I have not read all of its offshoots. Like a lot of the controls will have appendices or. Yeah, like the controls will have a uh, um, discussion section. I forget what they call it in the in Rev 5. That's where the magic happens. Yeah, well, that, that's how they kind of get the idea across to you of what they're talking about. And so they'll, they'll also have a link to supporting uh, guidelines and other things like that. I haven't read all those offshoots because there's. Lord, there's 20,000 pages of mm. material to cover. Um, but what, what I've found is reading these things, and I'm going to get off of 53 in just a second, I promise. But I've found that re- reading these things... She's done, Brad. Get off of her. <laughs> Shoot her. Uh, I've found that reading all these documents, and you, sometimes you got to read them a few times, but you're putting pieces in place in your mind of this overall picture. And... The more the more pieces you're able to define, the clearer the picture gets. Um, Hopefully, yeah, yeah, uh, and that's I've seen people that they've read it over and over again, and it just does not click, and they end up in a. I don't want to say that they go crazy, but it pisses them off. Dude, it'll, certainly, it'll, because it'll they drive, can't. Yeah, you know? it'll drive you crazy. It, it it'll drive you crazy. Um, and there, there's a level of aptitude to it also that you've got to have to be able to understand the abstract and turn the abstract into whatever the tangible form of abstract would be. Oh, yeah. I guess it'd be turn the abstract into something tangible. Turn the strategy into tactics. Yeah. Anyway, so moving on from my favorite framework, 53, to um, the uh, NIST 800-171, so the, this framework is kind of a kind of an LE version of 53. You know what I mean? Like light edition. Yeah, it, it's like they took 53. Short and sweet. We it, yeah, it'll take the 53 control and it'll kind of condense it down into like an actionable couple of sentences. I a lot. I always chalked it up as it was the uh, 
starter box, you know, something's better than nothing, at least get them on the right path. Yeah, yeah, then, it's 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 pretty granular too. Like it, it's more granular than CSF, I think. Everything is. <laughs> but 171 is geared towards controlled unclassified data. Still federal data, but controlled unclassified so that federal agencies can contract out some IT services to some folks and it won't bury those organizations to, to develop their security program. You think they kept CSF <clears throat> so bland and so simple because of the people that will be implementing it? Not to slam the DOD, but our recruiting requirements have gone down as of late. No, I think when they first, the first iteration of CSF, I think they put it out and, and they were, they had good intentions and they, they weren't ready. It was kind of a starting point. It was kind of a starting point. Um, and it, the first iteration was kind of, I don't know, it, it lacked some things in my opinion. The it second was iteration, it was the second iteration is better. It's better. It's got some granularity to it that's useful. It's Terminator 2 versus Terminator. Terminator 2 was better. Was that the T-1000? That's the one with yeah, Robert Patrick's yeah. liquid one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so 800-171 is kind of like, oh, it's not better. It's just, it's it's a bit easier, but it's still pretty granular. Like, there's a lot to do in an 800-171 uh, requirement. There is, but they do a fantastic job explaining it. Yeah, yeah, one, if you're a policy person. Right. 171 is a lot easier to read than 53. Mm. Um, and I, I don't remember. It's it's page length. It's um, I don't, in, the, in the tens of pages versus the 400. It's it's a lot easier to consume than 53. You can consume it multiple times, too, and kind of put yeah. your head around it. And, and honestly, man, it may, it may be something, if you're trying to study this stuff and get it into your head, it may be a starting point or a, a stepping board towards, stepping stone towards 53. It's what I started with. 171? Yeah, going okay. from whenever I met you and you were like, hey, you need to read these publications, I threw out <laughs> all of the ones that were long as hell because I was a firewall engineer and a network architect. Right. I didn't care, but I needed to wrap my head around things in order to progress and get better at what we do in general. I started with 171 because it was actually consumable in a manner mm -hmm. to where I could read it, ponder it, read it again mm -hmm. based on those ponderings and actually mature and kind of flow forward, so... And I get that. There's something there's something to say for a document like that that kind of has bookends. Training wheels. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it yeah. I think the the concept of it being consumable is a, is a good a good way to put that. Uh, but there is a starting point and a stopping point to it whereas NIST and all of its resultant document documents like the supporting docs forever ongoing. Oh my gosh, it's it's never ending. Yeah. Um, I remember that movie, The Never Ending Story. I was about to say something about Atreyu, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Atreyu. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay, so 800-171, I think, would be useful to an organization that plans on getting into federal subcontracting, mm. but not necessarily DOD. Yeah. I don't... Uh, there, there is some DOD data that, that uh, you could um, intake into a system that's not necessarily 100% FISMA compliant. But um, I don't know. It, it'd be useful in, in that kind of a scenario. It may, it may be a useful starting point for somebody that's looking long-term to get into uh, federal contracting and the bigger Fed agencies. So there's one NIST publication that I like for small organizations. Um, this isn't one that any of the federal agencies adhere to, but it, they, the NIST put it out to kind of give solid basics to an organization um, they can they can hit a lot of the high points, 
Um, so this one is NIST Interagency Report 7621. I forget the title of it, but that's the that's the publication number. But I like it, how you remember the robot version of it instead of the actual <laughs> like layman. Yeah, yeah. What it actually means, yeah. But so that 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 framework it it really hits the high points. Um, it talks about you need a firewall, like mm-hmm. blatantly, you need a firewall. Or security. What right or like, segmentation in general? So so fifty three would call it boundary protection, and they would mean firewall, IPS. See, I've evolved to the point where I have trouble right <laughs> separating me. I've gotten to that point, which means Brad's like the big floating brain in the sky. <laughs> right. Right. Until it pops. Just like that China balloon. Right. Too soon? No. No. Right on time. Uh, 7621, um, it lays out fundamentals for an organization that can that can adopt it really quickly. And honestly, they probably already have technologies that are meeting the requirements of 76 Just from standard approach. Right, from a best practice concept. Everybody needs AV or anti-malware mm-hmm. on their devices. Everybody. So it, it lists out those things that to, to not be dumb in today's world, you need to do this list of things. And it's, it's quick and easy. Um, I don't know, again, tens of pages versus a thousand. Uh, but it but it's real real easy to come up with a one pager um, of the list of things you need to do to kind of lock your uh, your environment kind of like the down. CIS top twenty or top eighteen or whatever they call it now. Yeah, it's it's top twenty still, but it even the top twenty will take a concept and break it out into a bunch of different controls. But this doesn't do that at all. This is like like twenty things you do, and that's where it stops. Get a firewall. Get endpoint protection. Get a spam fish, phishing gateway. If you're a security company, you could pretty much build your entire package around that then. You could, and you could help a lot of smaller organizations. On the cheap? Yeah. You know, because security should be affordable. And doable, yeah. And doable. Yeah. So at, at the moment, that's what I'm, I'm wrapping up my uh, NIST section of the frameworks that, that, that I'm a fan you of. Got? Only, like, there's another one that just kind of breaks it out into several others that I, I think are useful. Um. And I, I get, I mean, I've got on the list, I've got ISO 27,000 series. Oh, yeah. And I always I'll, thought those were more organizational for, like, process. And and they they are, uh, you have to pay for them, though. Those audits are not cheap. No. No, but, like, to get the, to get the, the control set. Yeah. No, to get the control set, you have to pay for it. To oh, be yeah. able to use yeah. it. Which, too, CIS Top 20, if you, if you didn't know um, Center for Internet Security, if if you're a for-profit organization, they make you pay them to use that framework, which is fine. They developed it. Uh, they're they're a nonprofit, also an amazing organization, uh, but they got bills to pay. That seems hokey as well. So get that federal funded. God. I know, I know, but not all of them are federal funded. Just the MSI sec. Mm. But so the the CIS top twenty. Uh, I forgot how I forgot its major. Um, how it's broken up, its major points it is broken into. It's like first thing you do is hardware inventory. <laughs> right, assets. Second thing you do is software, software inventory. inventory. Know what you got. Um, when that's a, a brilliant first step too, I, I think. But most but organizations it, can't answer those two I know, questions. I know, but it'll it'll take that um, that concept of of an asset inventory and break it into ten sub controls of like have a place to put it, have a baseline configuration for each one of them. Um, I don't know what else it breaks it into. That one I'm not as familiar with as 53. Um, it's beneath him. I, it's, 
I know the people personally that developed it, and they're awesome people. They do really good work. They should give it away for free. And you know, I met I met with one of them one time, and I, I made a mistake. I uh, I didn't badmouth the top twenty, but I he talked smack. I did talk about smack their stuff the in front of them. And uh, it's and like it, when you're dogging some female, and you find out it's the guy you're talking to, sister. I've been there. <laughs> uh, so I won't I won't name the dude, but uh, he is sorry. Yeah, CIS dude. If you do watch this ever one day, I do apologize for that because I was complaining about it not including an SDLC. Right. God, so how are you missing it? Right. I mean, it, it's a it's a solid security framework. I get the point of needing an SDLC. But, I mean, an SDLC is kind of critical for a. <laughs> For, for again, for a systems-based authorization process, yes. But if you have an environment that's up and operational, oh, that's what set you off. Okay, right. Well, I agree with you. Well, because like you have these things, but you don't have anybody in that whole process that can look at at it and go, yeah, that's good enough. Right. That'll do. Uh, right. I, I like the idea of having leadership look at all the crap that's gone into securing their system and go, okay, that that's good enough for today. But these other frameworks, the only one that really has that is 53 RMF. None of them, none of the others, others do. Yeah, Brad's I mean, baby. but again, that's one of the reasons I love it is it's super granular, it covers everything. If you ever see 853 walking around as a human being, it's going to be a bearded man with a plaid shirt. <laughs> Always a plaid shirt. Always a plaid shirt. Uh, let's see. So the, the next one I wanted to bring up was PCI DSS, um, and it's, almost always required as part of credit using credit cards, the payment card industry. Um, Hence the name PCI. Yeah. It's, it's a really good one. And it's also similar to 7621 where it, it lays out a list of do, do these things. And then you're, you're pretty good off. You can always do more, but you got to hit these things. Yeah. And we work with those a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We get called in a lot post cleanup to help mm -hmm. resolve things or, um, just to help them make sure that they're compliant that way when they get audited against Visa or MasterCard or whoever, they're in line. They can continue to use, continue to use Visa, Visa and MasterCard, MasterCard right, and whatever. Right. And not have to go back to cash. Yeah. Because who has cash these days? Right. Unless you're at the strip club. But you, you don't know, need it. <laughs> which, oddly enough, I don't carry cash. You don't go like, to strip clubs. Well, but like, I don't go to strip clubs, but like... That'd be know. a good place to minister. All Brad. the other you goofy the stuff. Yeah, yeah, but there's a degree. We can talk about that. <laughs> there's a degree of dragging me into the the feces. Um, anyway, so PCI is a, is a good framework. Of course, it deals with payment card industry. Um, the, the next one I wanted to touch on real quick is HIPAA. I don't like HIPAA. Everybody hates HIPAA. I hate HIPAA. It's, I'll say, useless. But Brad I, used to work for a major, <laughs> major organization that required HIPAA. It was pretty heavy HIPAA. Uh, All HIPAA. It was a lot of HIPAA. But when I when I say useless, I don't mean I don't mean useless. I, I just mean it's it's too vague. But the the purpose of it being vague is it's to so let people find. skirt around it. That doctor didn't know what that meant. Well, so the Office of Civil Rights is who um, enforces HIPAA, right? If something happens, if an incident happens and an organization loses a bunch of patient data, Office of Civil Rights will show up and audit that organization, but not per the HIPAA security requirements because you, 
they're they're vague. Yeah. They go they show up and do an 853 assessment of your organization and then give you this massive workload of of uh, documentation, follow-up and things that you need to do now as an organization. So if you fail HIPAA, they're going to they're going to show up and dump 853 on you and make you do that. Which means you should do 853 from the get-go and <laughs> avoid the HIPAA portion. Oh, Lord. Just have the HIPAA enhancements. It's it's got good so NIST came out with a with a a HIPAA implementation guideline, uh, 800-66, I believe. I got, I got to verify. I'm sorry. Well, I always say you know, it was good initiative, bad judgment. Like, you see that they're trying, but they didn't deploy it right, or they didn't write it right. Yeah, so yeah. So it's uh, NIST 800-66. It's currently in Rev 2. And it, it takes the, the HIPAA statements, which are, again, really, really vague, and it puts them in solid black and white terms. If 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 your requirement is to do this, then what this means is step 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 step. Do all these. Do every of the things. Do the needful. Yeah. So I I like eight hundred sixty six again because it's a NIST publication and it's not a legislate legislated piece of nonsense that mm-hmm. could have been written a lot better. Like HIPAA. Like HIPAA. Exactly like HIPAA. And they've, I think they've updated it a few times since, uh, I think it was released in 96. And they've updated it a few times since then, but they still, it's, I don't know. They're polishing the turd, man. It is. They, they kind of need to toss it and come up with something better. Um, maybe. They already did. 853. <laughs> so, and, well, and of course, it, it all de- depends on who the, the law applies to. And the laws will tell you who, who the, the requirements apply to. FISMA applies to all the federal agencies. Which is why Office of Civil Rights shows up with that as their base document for audits. Anyway, um, not a big HIPAA fan. Um, so I'll, I'll move on to uh, to the next one, which is uh, the Graham Liley Bleach Act (GLBA). Yes, right? yes. Is that what that stands for? Graham Liley. Graham Liley Bleach. Okay. No, no, no Graham, Graham Leach Bliley. <laughs> I was, yeah, bleach, I, was bleach like, that, I was saying, I'm like, that, that doesn't right. fit. We, that all, ain't right. we always reference that one as just straight up GLBA. Yeah, yeah. And it's because people go, you know, Graham Leach Bliley, Graham Leaky Bliley, Graham Leach <laughs> Bliley, and or, no one gets it right, including us apparently, because we Graham just Graham Bliley it up. Bleach, yeah. Like we're doing laundry. <laughs> um, so, so GLBA is is similar to HIPAA in, in that it has a short, some, somewhat of a short list of requirements, but they're they're much more pointed. It's um, not a polished turd? No. It's much better? No, and it, it did just get updated at the end of 21, I believe. It did, it, it did. It was supposed to be implemented by December of 22, but mm. then they just punted that back to June of 23. Um, like, yeah, we've we've had some things come across our desk as of late because a lot of people that we help with audits and assessments yeah. and whatnot have to be compliant with it, so... We're staffing, or we're, not, we're ramping up our staff to be able to support that need. So. Right, right, and so w- one of the things about about HIPAA is it's it's pretty clear on who it applies to mm-hmm. people that deal with health information. Right, and, and it's specific to like doctors or covered entities. It defines covered entities very well. GLBA, not GLBA. So it's it's not as known, like it's not as as broad spread as HIPAA, um, as far as who it applies to. I mean, the only <clears throat> higher learning seems to be the ones that know for a fact that it applies. To oh, yeah, it certainly applies. In. Right. But but it's because it deals with financials and um, uh, loans. Mm-hmm. Like when, when an organization deals with with a loan, they almost certainly 
um, have GLBA as a, a legislated requirement. Yep. So that that applies to financial organizations that do student loans. Uh, it applies to mortgage organizations that loan for homes. Countrywide. Yeah. Wells Fargo. It also applies to the the folks that do the appraisals because they get that loan information as part of their appraisal process. Oh, this is the folks that are actually checking on the house or checking on a commercial building? Yeah. Yeah, but like for valuation of the commercial building. building. The, the folks that give, give you the, the appraisal of the, the property telling you how much it's worth. So let's see, where do we leave off? So it, so it also GLBA. It also uh, GLBA also applies to the uh, the people that appraise the value of homes and commercial buildings uh, because they get the loan information as part of that. So they valuation. have the financial data on the person in right. some fashion. Right, right. It might not be as in depth, but it's enough to matter. Yeah, and one that surprised me, and because the, it surprised me because it's named so clearly in the the law is car dealerships. Um, right? Yeah, because they're doing car loans. Right. They're, they're appraising trade-ins. and mm-hmm. that? Yep. So it directly applies Dude, none to, of them are doing I it. I know. None I know. of them. I know. That's what, that's what I mean. It, it's it's going to catch them off guard one day. And mm. I, I heard somebody say that, that it's likely that, like a car dealership specifically, it will rely on like Ford for its security requirements. But I don't think that's the case, man, because most of these dealerships are, are locally owned or they're owned by individuals. They buy the cars from the manufacturers. The manufacturers really don't have anything to say to them except MSRP, right? Yeah. I don't know if if they could claim that. Um, so it's, it's something that, that these guys need to be aware of, that the federal government, I don't think they're going to crack down on it necessarily. But if something happens and you lose a lot of customer data, you get hit by a ransomware attack, the feds aren't going to help you any if you weren't doing what they said to do. I mean, since when does the feds help anyway? You know, you know, they did shoot that balloon. <laughs> After it scoped out the entire U.S. Right. But it ain't like we didn't have satellites if they were doing that for them anyway. We accomplished. That's, that's what that dude looks like when he's at the podium. That's a clinching thing that dementia people do. Never mind. I don't know who you're talking about. Biden. Oh, is that what he did? He does that all the I time. I don't watch that dude, man. Well, show me to behind you, my Yeah, he does kind of sound like a dude in a Pentecostal church. Not <laughs> that there's anything wrong with that. If you haven't get a whole bunch of hate comments from right, Pentecostals. Right. That's fine. Pentecostals are there, too. Uh, so the one I'll I'll just throw out here real quick uh, and then skip over to SOC is uh, ISO 27001. We brought that up a minute ago. Um, it's it's a pretty granular set of security controls as well. It's expensive. Yeah, it, it, it's expensive to, to get. It's expensive, it's, it's expensive to audit. And typically I see it more associated with um, European entities and less American. I don't see a lot of mm. um, domestic organizations implementing ISO requirements. Uh, but I do see like worldwide companies will implement them just because it tends to apply overseas. Usually multinational, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's one that I'm not terribly familiar with. Again, just because I'm such an, a 53 fan that I think 53 covers it all. So 
I don't see the need. For... 53 gets the rubber stamp from you for everything. It does, man. It does. It's beautiful. All um, right. Now, bringing up the rear. Yeah, bring, for, kind of bringing up the rear is, is one that, that's more an assessment framework and less a framework you could build your security program like off SOC of. Type 1, Type 2. Yeah, yeah. So the SOC, SOC 2 specifically. So a SOC Type SOC 1 audit is financial financially focused, mm-hmm. but it will have a twinge of IT to it. Uh, SOC 2 is tends to focus on the security implementations as far as providing IT services to other mm. organizations. The type one is a snapshot in time. Type two covers the course of a year, I believe. I think it's I think it's just a year. Um, the, the past year. Yeah, the, yeah. They take the the moment in time that the audit happens and they look back a year <clears throat> to to see if you've been performing these. Uh, you're doing what you say you're doing. Yeah, those words. Mm. Yeah. Um, it, it's a good it's a good assessment framework. Um, it's a little fluid in my opinion. It's not as as hard lined as say like a low mod high. When when your baseline is set, you can get in the room with the auditor and say, "I really want you to focus this audit on uh, what is it confidentiality and security, whatever the their phrasing is." And and the auditor can lop off the other stuff and just focus on those things. So then you can say. I have my SOC 2 type 2, and you passed it with, you know, colors. Those audits are not cheap either, though. No, they're really not. But We're in the but, wrong business. <laughs> but that, that's part of what I mean is you're, you put a lot of resources into it, and they can hone it in on the things that you're doing really well and ignore the other stuff, but you still have the SOC 2 type 2 report that you can hand over to your clients, and most of the time they don't read it. They just go, okay, you got your SOC 2 type 2, cool. I've never seen someone actually read it. Now that you mentioned, I know, it. I know, like data That's centers I mean. and everything. They're like, we're SOC two type two uh, certified. Yeah, You're like cool, right? Yeah. Almost everybody takes it and tosses it to the shelf. That checks their box, man. right? Right. Now I'll, I'll take it and I'll go through it and find the parts that can align with fifty three. He's that guy, and then I'll use those in you know in, in a security program for for uh, say a client. I'll use those answers, but they're always they're always vague. They never give uh, definitive. Um, specifics. That's how you pass those tests. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they verify they verify things. The auditors verify things, but it never lands in the end report. Mm-mm. Those details never end up in the report. So I can't take them and say, "Well, the data center has whatever camera company watching so and so areas twenty four seven. They just say they've got cameras and they watch them. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty much the main ones I wanted to talk through. Which I know I did a lot of talking. Um, that was 47 minutes of... Holy cow, for real. Um, baptism. <laughs> by fire. By fire. Security frameworks the, go. The InfoSec framework guru. Yeah. So, and I guess to wrap, to wrap it up, if you can do 53, do 53. Um, it's going to answer all your questions anyways. It's going to help yeah. you. It maps to everything. It does map to everything. Um, 7621 is a really good place to start. And uh, and heads up to folks that deal with loans because GLBA is coming. And uh, I mean, it's been here. You should have been doing it, <laughs> right? But if you didn't know, let's say your head was under a rock. Let's say or up your never mind. You need to get with it or under a rock. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I've got. Did you want to close this out? Jesus Christ, guys! There is a lot going on. <laughs> so frameworks. There's good ones, there's bad ones, at least from our perspective. They have different use cases, some of which are good, some of which are bad. 
at the end of the day, do what Brad Bird does. Stick with 853, <laughs> map it to everything else. If you have questions or concerns or, or comments about our comments, please don't hesitate. Opinions. Or differing opinions. Yeah. Don't hesitate to post them in the comments below because we like the interaction. Because we like the engagement and the interaction. I almost had a stroke a second ago trying to say that. <laughs> uh, as always, if you like the video, hit the like button. If you want the hour of your life back, hit the dislike button. Um, you're not going to get it back, but at least you, <laughs> you might have learned something. Uh, and also, as always, hit subscribe if you haven't already. And until next time, just remember security is achievable. <laughs>